Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, as we conclude the first chapter before we embark next time on the chapter 2. So 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, a brief passage, but important one, uh, verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his word. One of the dangers I will say each of you face, and it's one of the things that uh, causes great great disappointment in others is when someone walks away from the faith, when someone wanders, uh, we have that in this account here, somebody wandering away from the faith. Uh, we know of these people who started out well only to wander off. And uh, the causes of wandering are many and varied. It could be something like... Um, Uh, drug abuse or substance abuse of some sort. It could be a great disappointment or disillusionment in their life that prompts them to doubt the goodness of God and and so turn away from him. It can be the influence of so-called friends. And of course, the world never tires in publicizing and promoting the failure of Christians to uh, stay true to him and uh, to stay true to the Lord. And for whatever reason, there are these real dangers that people face and you will face them. Uh, And the encouragements that Paul is going to give Timothy tonight and in the passage we're looking at tonight are very important for all of us to take to heart and try to apply into our own lives Uh, We don't do it for our own glory, but it's a wonderful testimony when a person comes to the end of their life or in their later years of their life and have the testimony that they were faithful to the end. And what a testimony to the Lord and his grace when they do that. You and I both are probably thinking of certain ones that we remember. They were faithful to the end. That's what each of us should desire to have true in our lives. And a couple of these men he mentions made a shipwreck of their faith. And their lives became um, destroyed on the rocky shores of uh, temptation or spiritual failure. So there's two elements to this passage today that we're going to look at. One is the charge given to Timothy... And then we'll look at the, um, the danger of falling away. So we come to the charge that's given to Timothy in verses 18 and the first part of verse 19. 
This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. There are two parts to the charge. And the first part of the charge is uh, the charge that comes at the end of verse 18, that they may wage the good warfare, fight the good fight. Uh, It's a um, kind of a military um, terminology that he's giving here, giving here. And uh, this charge is introduced at the beginning of the verse, 18. The charge itself comes up later on. The charge is introduced at the beginning of verse 18, where Paul says, This charge I entrust to you. We've had the idea of a charge already brought up in this particular chapter. Uh, Earlier on in the, in the, um, the, the chapter, if you look at verse 3, says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge, it's the same word, charge certain ones not to teach any different doctrine, not to teach heterodox doctrine. And the goal of the charge, as we go to verse five, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So we have this charge that's being given to Timothy. And the second word that is there, most of your translations maybe have entrust. To me, this is a very interesting word. Uh, Hopefully you'll find it interesting too, but it's, uh, you're you're familiar with the word paraclete. Uh, Well, this word is paratithemi. What does that mean? Well, para meaning beside, call alongside, the paraclete being the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's called alongside to be with us. Well, this charge, uh, the word used there to entrust could be, it's sometimes used in some context of putting truth before people. They're putting it in front of them. But I personally like one of the other ways it can be translated, and that is to place beside. And the thing about this charge is that Paul wants to do with it, with Timothy, and would want to do with it to you, is he would want you to have this charge as your companion. As someone who's walking side by side with you uh, throughout your life. You need the company of this charge to help you keep from wandering away. And so look at this charge as your companion, as your helper, as someone who should accompany you uh, along the way. And the, the charge itself, as I've mentioned, is a military terminology. It's wage the good warfare or fight the good fight. Uh, look at 1 Timothy 6.12. 1 Timothy 6.12. <clears throat> where he exhorts Timothy with those words, fight the good fight. It's interesting, the charge is given in 118 is the word that when it's talking about fighting the good fight or waging the good warfare, it's using the word that's often used for soldier. 
So you're being a soldier to fight this fight. Interestingly, in 1 Timothy 6.12, it's a different word. Same, essentially, intent. But it, it, inclu- it includes the idea of agonize. So to fight the good fight is going to take labor and work and agony to stay on the path. It's not something that will just happen. It's not something that just will be automatic. It's that you agonize over it. And turn to 2 Timothy 4, 7. 2 Timothy 4, 7. This is Paul's concluding statement. Uh, What a wonderful statement if we could say this at the end of our life. I have fought the good fight. That's the agonizing fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul agonized to the end and was able to say he finished the race and he kept the faith. What a wonderful testimony that would be for us. If we if we that could be true for us. And we know that Paul uses this military terminology not only here but in other places because we're in a warfare. And as as Ephesians six tells us and reminds us that um, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Part of our warfare is against our own indwelling sin. Another part of our warfare is the temptations of the evil one who would seek to draw you away. And he might use your best friend to do that. He might use someone that you have trusted in all your life and in a time of weakness, they will draw you away from the faith. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, We do battle with the evil one, even as Jesus did. And so we have to be alert to this warfare. We have to be alert to this agonizing that we need to do because um, without, without that, we will wander away. Well, that's the content of the charge. But Paul is reminding Timothy of some resources that God has given him in this battle. Uh, one is he speaks to Timothy, my child. Now, why would he particularly bring that up at this point? It's to remind Timothy that he's not alone in this warfare and in this battle. Uh, that Paul is standing with him. Of course, Christ and God is standing with him. But there are those that God puts us in relationship with who uh, we can be encouraged by and draw strength from. I mentioned that someone could draw us away, but the opposite thing is just as true. Someone could be there to be our aid. And so Paul says to Timothy, my son, 
he gives him this charge. He reminds him of the relationship that Paul and Timothy have together as a mentor and a someone who's being mentored by him. But it's the reminder that he's not alone in the battle. And that's one of the techniques of the evil one. That's one of the schemes of the evil one. He wants you to think that you're all alone. And you're not. You have friends who will stand with you. You will have parents who will support you. You will have elders and deacons and others in the church who love you and who will do anything they can to help you. You're not alone. Do not let the evil one convince you that you're on your own in this battle. And so one of the resources that Timothy has is his relationship with other believers, in this case particularly Paul himself. A second resource, an important one that's given to Timothy, is he writes, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may, by them, by these prophecies, you may wage the good warfare. So there's a couple things for us to think about here. Uh, it, there were, when, when Timothy was ordained, he had the laying on of hands on him. And uh, apparently at that time, there was also a prophetic utterance given perhaps to Paul, one of the other apostles. Um, look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. He says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So on the day of his ordination to the office to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, there was a prophetic message that was pronounced over him. Now, we don't have the wording of that prophecy. And we know that in the apostolic age, uh, ecstatic gifts were given to the apostles and so that God may have endued um, maybe Paul with a special endowment of the Holy Spirit for him to make a, prof- a prophecy regarding uh, Timothy. But we don't know the wording of that or any of the content of those things. But what we do know is that if it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it would be nothing that would be contrary or inconsistent with the word of God. And so you and I don't have to try to scrounge around to figure out what was it that was said about Timothy. What we need to understand and know is that it's a parallel to what is a resource for you and for me. And the resource for you and for me is the word of God. That's a resource God gives us that we might fight the good fight, that we might wage the good warfare. Um, the The promises of God's word are a great help to us. They're a benefit to us. They're a resource we draw on to help us hold fast our hope in the Lord, even when things are going not so well. 
turn to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, just as an example of a promise that can be a great help to you as you're waging the good warfare. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, when we're waging the good warfare, when we're waging the warfare or fighting the good fight, it's just this kind of promise that we will forget. And so Paul says, by them, by these resources, by the help that he gets from Paul, by the help he gets from the word of God, he can fight the good fight. And you need to keep the word of God and the promises of God close at hand. Because this is a great one to keep close at hand. He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So that you're confident when you say, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? The fear of man is a great stumbling block. It's a great hindrance to agonizing in the the warfare. And so we need the confidence of the promises. So Paul is telling Timothy, the charge is wage the good warfare. And the resources that he has is his relationship with Paul and other believers and the promises of the word of God. Hold fast to those things. Don't forget those things. Keep them close at hand. So the first part of the charge is wage the good warfare. The second part of the charge is the first part of verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now, while there's probably some debate between what is faith and a good conscience, I think faith is referring to the objective truth of the word of God as the faith that we're to hold fast to. And then conscience is that part of us that receives that truth and interprets it and applies it uh, into what is right and what is wrong in the choices we make in our life. Uh, So the first element is the idea of its objective truth. We need to hold the faith. Uh, Turn to Jude chapter 3, or excuse me, Jude verse 3. Jude verse 3. We have a parallel thought to this idea that faith is the objective truth, the content, the body of truth uh, that is in the word of God, the faith which we hold. And in Jude 3, beloved, although I was eager to write to you about your common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
the faith of the gospel, the objective truth of God's word, the body of truth, which is God's word, is worth fighting for. And it's absolutely necessary for us to hold fast to that if we are not going to wander away. If we let loose of the faith, then we're setting ourselves up to wander away from the truth, from the faith, from the battle that we're to be involved in. Uh, Look at 1 Timothy 6.20. He gives a similar exhortation in this letter. 1 Timothy 6.20. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. That's the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So we must hold on to the faith, the truth of God's word, if we would fight the good fight and not wander away and make shipwreck of our faith. The second thing is in holding on to a good conscience. Our conscience is informed by the word of God. And it's that part of our mind and heart and being where we take the truth of God's word and the, uh, the, the um, <clears throat> test of God's word and apply it to our lives to what is right and wrong. And our conscience can be either seared and it can be uh, harmed, it can be distorted, or it can be informed and corrected by the word of God. But there's going to be a sense in you that your conscience of what is right And what is wrong. And that's something you have to hold fast to the good conscience. And that good conscience is a great aid to you in your warfare. But it has to be informed and guided by the word of God. And if you don't hold fast to the faith. And if you don't hold fast to a good conscience then you will wander away. And Paul's urging is for that not to happen. Just a couple uses uses in this letter of this idea of conscience and good faith being together. Uh, look back at 1 Timothy 1.5. We already read it once, but look at it again with this thought in mind. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then look at 1 Timothy 3.9. This is the, uh, one of the qualifications for a deacon. 1 Timothy 3.9, the deacons must hold the mystery, that's the deep truths of the faith, with a clear conscience. So they too must have both things. Faith, the faith, that's the truth, and a clear conscience. And everybody, every believer needs to hold on to those two things if we would fight the good fight. So the charge before you is to wage the good warfare and to hold faith and a good conscience. The 
issue that those things will help prevent you from is the danger of falling away, which is in the last part of 19 and verse 20. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So the cause of falling away, um, of making shipwreck of their faith, is rejecting this. Rejecting the charge to wage the good warfare. Rejecting the faith. Rejecting holding fast to a good conscience. Uh, Whatever it is that brought them to that point. Whatever it was that lured them away. They're turning away from the truth. They're turning away from that sense of right and wrong. They're not agonizing in the warfare and thus waging the good warfare. And the consequence of that is by abandoning the truth and just as not so much as an aside but as a gripping reality, the tragedy in our own day, it doesn't surprise us if the world denies the truth of God's word. That doesn't surprise us. It doesn't surprise us that the world uh, uses their conscience to do whatever they feel like doing. We don't, we're not surprised or shocked by that. <clears throat> but what we are surprised by, or hopefully we still are a little surprised by, is when the church does that. When the church abandons the truth, And when the church abandons the standards of right and wrong and tolerates and condones immorality of all kinds, still claiming to be Christian. And uh, we see that happening more and more and more and more in our day. And that is the danger Paul is warning against. They're making shipwreck of their faith. And that's a very picturesque phrase. It's not in any way something Paul would have said lightly. He knew what it was like to actually go through an actual shipwreck. When the vessel you're sailing on is caught in a storm and is is drawn into the shore and broken up on the rocky shore and you barely escape with your life. Uh, it would have been a very vivid image in his mind. And what he's saying is this is what will happen if we reject faith, reject the good conscience, give up in the battle of fighting against uh, the war, good warfare. And two examples that he cites is Hymenius and Alexander. Hymenius is not used very often in the, in the scriptures, turn to Second Timothy, uh, chapter two. Second Timothy two sixteen and eighteen. <clears throat> he says to Timothy, "But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus." And Philetus, 
who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So this Hymenaeus was probably the same one referred to in chapter 1, 1 verse 20. Uh, He had indulged in this godless chatter, particularly, as that 2 Timothy passage tells us, saying that the resurrection has already happened, to lure people away from the faith, to have them reject the truth and reject that sense of right and wrong. And he says there in... um, Um, that they've made shipwreck of their faith um, in verse back in 2 Timothy 2.18 they've swerved from the truth they've wandered away from the truth it's the kind of thing that sometimes it happens quickly but often it happens slowly over a long period of time there's uh, little bits of doubt that are put in A little bit of doubt, another little bit of doubt, another little bit of doubt, and before long you're denying the truth and the drift has become a uh, tidal wave. And you make shipwreck of of your life. And um, the thing that we dare not do, and I'm, I'm saying I dare not do it, the thing that we dare not do is ever to say, well, I'd never be Hymenaeus. Well, I bet he just said that too. We have other instances here in Paul's letters. Demas has forsaken me. Demas used to be a partner in the gospel with Paul and the apostles. And he has forsaken him. Don't ever allow yourself to think, well, I'll never be a Hymenaeus. Uh, If you reject the truth, if you don't hold fast to the faith, if you don't hold fast to a good conscience, that may be the path that you're on. The second person that he mentions is Alexander. The one mistake some people make is assuming they know who he's talking about. The fact is, Alexander was was a very common name in that day. And uh, there probably isn't another Alexander in the scriptures that fit this category. There's an Alexander in Acts chapter 19 where they ride in Ephesus and he uh, stepped forward to try to calm the mob. Uh, we don't want to assume that that Alexander has now abandoned the faith, possibly, but we don't need to make that assumption. Uh, there's another Alexander who was a metal worker in Rome. Again, we don't have the clarity of saying that was the, this Alexander. But somebody he knew by that name, like Hymenius, had wandered away from the faith. And the danger is for you and I to be like them. The remedy that Paul sought to take place, sought to, to, to do, use to correct these men... He says, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is a fairly common phrase that has reference to the discipline of the church. We see it in 1 Corinthians 5. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 5. Remember the sexual immorality that was in the 
Corinthian church, and Paul confronts the church with not dealing with it as the way they should have. And in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, he says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So what Paul is doing when he's saying he's delivering him over to Satan, he's not, he's not saying he wants him to be condemned. He's saying this, these men need to be disciplined. They need to be confronted with their godlessness and their unbelief. That's the terminology or the meaning of the terminology of delivering them over to Satan, putting them out of the church, excommunicating them. <clears throat> Why? So that they might learn not to blaspheme. See, the important thing about church discipline, it's never the aim of church bliss, discipline to, uh, to destroy someone or to harm them. Uh, church discipline is never intended to drive the person away. The purpose of church discipline is always, and I mean always, in every circumstance, the goal and the purpose of church discipline is remedial. It's not damnation, it's reclamation that's the goal. That's the desire. That's the purpose. But it needs to be done. Paul recognizes it needs to be done with these men so that they might be taught not to blaspheme, to return to the warfare. The Christian life and the Christian warfare is difficult. It's challenging. It's agonizing. Uh, It's very difficult. It requires discipline. It requires hard commitment. It requires encouraging one another. Uh, Calvin wrote about this. He said, if we wish to reach port with our faith intact, we should make a good conscience the, the pilot of our course. Or otherwise, there is a danger of shipwreck. Faith may be sunk by a bad conscience as a whirlpool in a stormy sea. So be properly alarmed and guarded and take the steps necessary to avoid being making your faith shipwreck so that you might be faithful to the Lord and be able to say as Paul did, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And may that be our testimony uh, when we come to our end. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the warning of this passage. And we know you give it not to dismay us or to discourage us, but to cause us to be alert. To cause us to hold fast to your, to your doctrine, your truth, and, and to inform our conscience that we might have a good conscience and live uh, in a way that would honor you. I pray for all of us here, especially for our young people here. Help them, Lord, in the days ahead that they'll face many challenges uh, that may at times be completely overwhelming. Help them to help one another and to remember that you 
will never leave them and you will never forsake them so that they can be confident uh, that in their faith and know that what can man do to us? Help us to be um, your good soldiers in the warfare set before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.